you bring this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, happy new year to everyone I hadn't seen in this year yet, and uh, I hope it's still happy for everyone. Everybody keeping up their resolutions still? No. A few of them failed already? Well, doesn't matter. (laughs) Yes, it does. Well, it depends what it was, I suppose. Um, Our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 9, the first 18 verses. We've been going through the book of Matthew before Christmas. We had a little break over the Christmas period and... Kelly picked up on it again last week from Matthew chapter 8, and I'm on Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on his bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, and incidentally, this story is the same one as in some of the other Gospels. It's the one where they opened the roof. It doesn't say it here, but they opened the roof and let their friend down through Uh, on his stretcher with ropes through the roof. So that's why their faith was so great. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you, may know, that you know, may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Lord, open these words to our hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Well, I've got my phone up here because I've got my Bible searching thing on there. I may look at some of that. I'm not here in case I'm going to answer phone calls. I won't answer. If somebody rings me, I won't answer. You know, this, uh, I, I love the scriptures. Uh, I really do love the scriptures and have 
being, uh, you know, sort of in them all my life, one way or another. You know, I've heard many, many sermons on this particular passage, this passage about the man who was let through the roof and was healed of his, uh, of his uh, paralysis, and where Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I've heard many, many different things. They all sort of merge into one somewhere in the back of my mind. But every time I look at a passage like this, even though I may remember many, many great sermons I've heard on it, I always see completely new things, and I begin to connect in ways that I never have before, ever. It's amazing with the scripture, isn't it, how that, how that happens. There is, never seems to be an end to the depths of revelation and light that God wants to bring forth from his word. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Because we have all eternity to be exploring it. Uh, you know, and uh, understanding, because it's all about understanding the heart of God and knowing the heart of God. And we've been in, in the Gospel of Matthew because I felt very strongly in the summer that the Lord was calling us into a higher level of spiritual life, a deeper understanding of him, a closer walk with him, out of the flesh, out of religion, out of outward forms and action and into a deeper knowing of God. That's the journey that we're on. Actually, every bit of the scripture is actually taking you in that journey. But Matthew is a uniquely placed because it's the first of the new covenant. It's the first of a new era where God had been working in one way for a long period of time and things then changed. There was a kind of an interlude of 400 years where there's no um, scripture added from the end of the Old Testament until the beginning of the new. It's not that God wasn't still active on the earth. He was, and he had friends and, and people that he was working with. But this is the beginning of a new era where God is working and fulfilling something that he had promised from the very beginning. And it's all about the heart. It's all about what's going on in our heart. And this passage today is, again, all about what's going on in our hearts. And it's not so much about, and even that key verse that I I preached on some while back, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which is a quote from the Old Testament. God is after a heart response from us. He does not care whether people do this particular religious service or that kind of activity as far as the outward forms, you know, the sort of modern church, we have a PA set up like that, don't we? we got our screen, we got the guy at the back with the PA, we got the chairs laid out. That's modern church, isn't it? I mean, the old churches had the old pews and all kind of crosses and strange things up. You know, God doesn't actually care about any of that stuff. We think we're a bit more cool than all that, but whatever, we're not. It doesn't matter. You know, I was in Egypt uh, in, the, in a cave at a church uh, up on the rubbish tip. And out of the rubbish tip where people lived, I don't know how they managed, but they were walking out of these filthy shacks with beautifully white starched shirts on. I don't think how anything clean could come out of that house. I have no idea, but anyway, it did. And they walked down to a cave, this big cave in the, under the, nearby the rubbish tip. You can still smell the rubbish tip from there. And uh, up on the stage was a bunch of Coptic priests dressed in robes and with carrying silver crosses and cups and weird things. Uh, incense and all that, all right? And I thought, well, there's no power in anointing here. But believe me, those guys began to speak the word of God and hold out those crosses and lift up those cups. Demons began to manifest and healing began to take place in that place. You know, God does not care whether I have a Gothic, ancient, medieval cross in my hand here or whether I am cool with all my modern PA equipment. None of that makes any difference to God. Do you know that? He does not care at all about any of that stuff. He is looking at our hearts. The heart of men is always what God 
as cared about. And actually, even in the Old Covenant, that's what he cared about. But in the New Covenant, there is especially an enablement to us for our hearts to be changed because Jesus has come. Jesus has died and risen again. And there is power from God to change our hearts. There is power for every one of us to change our hearts. And we do not need to be in failure or despair or paralysis or any other thing. Now, this, um, I won't waste so much time with that, actually. Sorry. I'm not going to say I'm not going to waste time. I'm not going to waste time saying I'm not going to waste time. Okay. (laughs) I'm just going to focus here. There's a lot of introductory stuff that, that, that I would like to say that I find interesting, I find helpful, that thing fits into that context and that context, but sometimes it's just a little bit too much for a thing. So you'll just have to take my word for it. I was praying the anointing, uh, what is in there, if it's in there, comes out in the name of Jesus anyway. Okay. But here, what I really call this, I've, I've, I've done a kind of long preparation, then I've done a short preparation because I thought... Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> If everybody just doesn't have anything else to do today and they want a whole lecture on Matthew, well, you can do that. But really what I want to talk about is I'm picking up on this one thing that Jesus said to this man, which I find so beautiful, which offended some of the people there. He said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I believe that's the word that God wants to speak into many hearts this morning. Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. And I want to talk about losing heart. How it is that we lose heart. How it is that we lose confidence. And how it is that we can fail in this whole area because I think it is so important 19 times in the gospel of Matthew the heart is mentioned I said to you it's about all about the heart and Jesus is wanting this is the first place where he says take heart and there are four well there are directly three places in Matthew where he says take heart and two of them are in this in this chapter not in the bit that I read, but in the next bit, and I'll tip into next Sunday's, somebody else is preaching, I can't remember who, but I'll just tip into it. Is it you preaching this Sunday? No. Debo is preaching this Sunday. Well, I'm sure you'll have so many more things to say, it won't matter if I tip into that passage and say something from there. Because also when Jesus healed that woman who touched the hem of his garment, again, he turned to her and said, take heart, daughter. Take heart, daughter. He didn't say your sins are forgiven because then maybe that wasn't so much the issue with her, but he just said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And then, in chapter 14, there's the third place where Jesus said, take heart. I just want to touch on them. But immediately, this is when they were in, in the boat where the storm was happening, and they saw Jesus walking on the waves. Remember that one? And they were terrified. And Jesus said, take heart, it is I, have no fear. Have no fear, okay? And then there's the fourth place, because I always look for the four, 
I never feel like I've fully understood it until I've seen the four, you see. Because four is the number of universality. But anyway, I'll just throw that out. Just couldn't help it. Okay. And that is indirectly, though, in Matthew eleven nine, where it's talking about the Father's heart. And here's a key, and we'll, we'll come to it again a bit later. But it actually doesn't say take heart directly, but it says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. So what he's really saying there is take my heart, isn't he? Would you agree with that? Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, because my heart's gentle and lowly. So in a way, it's again, take heart. Take heart, take heart, take heart. That's why I asked you if you'd kept up your New Year's resolutions, because when you've got a lot of heart on New Year's Eve, you can make a lot of resolutions, but the heart doesn't seem to so strong three, we- three days later or whatever on a dreary January rainy cold day, and you say, I just need a little comfort. I think I'm going to forget that <laughs> resolution I made. You ever been there? I've been there, around that, pl- that place. So we need to take heart. Now, there's other places in the New Testament. Just, I'll just, no, let's talk about this first. We'll go to them, them later. But there are other places where he talks about either don't lose heart. Apostle Paul says, don't lose heart. And also in Hebrews, it says, don't throw away your confidence. Hang on to your confidence. Same thing, isn't it? Because heart, if, if you've ever seen a team playing football or whatever, and say it's, you know, they're down the second half, near the second half, and they're down two or three points already. It is only an extremely professional team that doesn't lose heart, isn't it? There's a few amazing comebacks in the history of football. Some of you count on the fingers of one hand, probably. But mostly when people think they're going to lose, they give, give up, don't they, and lose heart. And then you see some of these spectacular ones in the World Cup where there's sort of 11 to 1 scores and stuff where the team is just given up. On the other hand, occasionally in the FA Cup you see some little team from, you know, Grimsby or something all of a sudden beating Manchester United, don't you? Because they just have incredible heart that day. They got so encouraged that they got that far in the Cup that they go ahead and win. See how big a difference it makes whether we have heart or not. And in the Christian life, we are constantly told to, you know, not lose heart, to uh, don't throw away your confidence, uh, guard your heart, it says in Proverbs, with all vigilance, for from it flow the issues of life. You know, and we can lose heart too early. You know, if you were Manchester United and suddenly you're tied with Grimsby at half time, because of your pride, you could really easily lose heart then and think, oh, we're just hopeless, we're having a hopeless day, it's bad luck. You know, such and such has jinxed us, or I don't know, whatever people say. So losing heart could actually cause you to lose. And God is very concerned that we should take heart this morning. So I want to just look at some of the things that cause us to lose heart. Now clearly, this man here he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So clearly, for some reason, this man had lost heart. Implication, because of sin in his life. 
Now, there's nothing that's more disheartening than sin in your life, is it? If you fall into something, perhaps out of weakness, temptation, and, you know, you didn't really want to do it, but, you know, you just got led down a path. We don't know the background story of this, but there's many other stories in the Bible and other others of us could think of. We're because of sin and guilt. And that's why it's so encouraging when Jesus is speaking out this word of forgiveness. And we really need to hear this. We need to hear it at multiple levels. Because we, are, we have complicated psychological gymnastics going on in our heart around guilt. We're, we feel it's cheeky to receive God's forgiveness too easily, don't we? Because, look at the choir that was sitting in this room here. As soon as Jesus said this, the scribes began to raise issues. Well, you know, they might have said, ah, oh, he's not really repented, has he? He hasn't repented properly? How, how, how can you really repent properly? So sometimes we don't feel we've fully repented. We think, well, if I had the opportunity, I might do it again. And I'm not really that repentant. I'm not really that sorry about it because I really did enjoy it anyway. And da, da, da. Do you see what I mean? Have you ever been there? So all this, all kind of complicated reasons and the choir of some kind is singing those reasons into our heart. Why it is a hard thing to receive forgiveness. Really, you shouldn't possibly be worthy of receiving forgiveness. Is that just me, or do we all, have we all been there in this place sometimes? And even the more mature we are, sometimes we think, well, we really shouldn't have fallen to that little sin, so, so we're even harder on ourselves. If somebody's just a new Christian, well, you know, he's, he's used to receiving forgiveness. But other us, more mature ones, we're harder on ourselves because we're, we might have even become part of this choir here that's giving the, all the complicated reasons why this forgiveness should not be released. And God wants to say, I, I really believe that he wants to say this, even, I, I've just felt it was for a number of individuals here today, including myself, actually, preachers aren't supposed to do that or they give words to themselves as they preach, maybe, it's all right. I'm free to do that. <laughs> Take heart, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. It may have been something from many years ago. Because you know what sin does? It paralyzes you. It prevents you from having that confidence. That nagging sense of guilt or failure prevents you. It keeps you paralyzed on the bed. You're not going to quite rise up and do anything because you're not quite up to scratch to do it. Been there? You ever been there? Just arguing with yourself, keeping yourself down at an appropriately humble level and paralyzed. Whereas God is saying, take heart, my son, take heart, my daughter. Go out and live free. You are 100% forgiven. There is nothing beneficial in punishing yourself or staying on that bed. Take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. You know, when Jesus is speaking these words, he didn't go around calling everybody my son, did he? Jesus didn't. I actually think that Jesus is speaking the words of the Father here. I believe he's actually speaking. Because he said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. So I believe he saw that man and he heard the Father say, Take heart, my son, 
your sins are forgiven. Do you want to receive that? Can you receive that this morning? Your sins are forgiven. In fact, I don't even think, you know, sometimes there's complicated sins from way back. And the reason we haven't sorted them out is because we think, well, I can't really put that right now. I can't really sort that out. So it's just left as a muddly, messy guilt back there somewhere. You know, sometimes God steps in supernaturally and just says, look, we're not talking about restitution. You don't need to go and say sorry to anybody else. You don't need to go and sort that thing out. You don't need to go and pay that off. You don't need to do anything. He's just stepping in and saying, boom, I am calling an end to that flow of guilt today. I believe that's what the Lord is saying. I'm speaking this prophetically. That God is saying, there's complicated things that you think, I can't sort them out now. Maybe the person has died. Maybe things have moved on. It's just different. God is saying, don't look back. He's not even asking this guy for repentance. Do you know that? He is just saying, I'm calling time. I'm calling time on that flow of guilt. That's what the Lord is saying to a number of people here today. End of that guilt. Do not look back at that anymore. The Lord is saying, it is forgiven. No more repenting. No more looking at it. It is gone. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. That is absolutely what the Father is saying to people here today. I've got a whole lot of other stuff I, I thought of as well. That's good, but that for sure is what the Father is saying to you today. And he is calling people to get up out of their bed of paralysis and live the life that he's called them to live. In freedom. In freedom. There's absolutely... Nothing else to do but forget those things from the past and step into the forgiveness of God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, there's um, two types of sinners that are highlighted in this passage. Two types of sinners. There is weak sinners who are tempted by the appetites of their flesh and so on and give in to things. Then there is another type of sinner that's in view here who are strong and powerful sinners who never give in to the appetites of their flesh. They're very disciplined, strong and wise, clever and usually rich people as well. Okay? And both are highlighted in this passage. Now, this man, I believe, I think he was probably a weak sinner. Okay, he gave in to some appetite of the flesh. He was like old Rod Stewart with Maggie May. <clears throat> you know? Stole my heart. I looked up the lyrics because I couldn't remember. Stole my heart. He stole my soul, and that's a pain that I could do without. All right? A young lad fell in love with an older woman, and she stole his heart. That's the story of Maggie May. So Rod Stewart began as a weak sinner. But because of the success of that song, he became a strong sinner. Because <laughs> he became rich. <laughs> Thankfully, just to finish his story, the grace of God pursued him, though he was a weak sinner and a strong sinner. And he finally met Penny Lancaster, who was a Christian. And now he's, uh, well... I believe he's made a commitment to the Lord himself. This just shows the mercy of God. 
God is not scared of weak sinners or strong sinners. But the strong ones are harder to deal with sometimes because the strong sinners here are sitting there. See, look at these guys. When Jesus said, this man, or they, they said, this man is blasphemy, and they were just thinking it in their hearts. They weren't even saying it. And Jesus turns to them and says, why do you think evil in your heart? Now, they thought they were having a little righteous thing going on, didn't they? They were, they were scribes. They, were, they had knowledge of the scripture. They were bringing the law into play. They thought they were righteous in their thinking, didn't they? And that maybe Jesus wasn't righteous. And Jesus turns right to them and said, why do you think evil in your hearts? The religious, self-righteous are strong sinners, aren't they? Because Jesus said throughout, it's all about the heart. Sin arises from the heart. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. It's not about whether you wash your hands before you eat. Remember that bit? A little bit later on. It's all about what flows from the heart. So he's called them sinners. And then look, he gets Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. He's the guy who's written this. So this is his own little, he slipped his own little testimony right in the middle of it all. Just slipped it in. And uh, he called him to follow him, and he followed him. And Matthew was a strong sinner. He had sinful friends, and he had liked to have big parties at his house. So the first thing he did is invite Jesus to come to his house and have a party. And I'll bring all my friends there. So there was all tax collectors and sinners, it says. Now, that's codex for all sinners, actually. <laughs> tax collectors and sinners, right? <laughs> strong sinners and weak sinners. We know from other stories where Jesus was at banquets like this, that various women of low repute were bawling their eyes out at his feet and all this kind of thing, weren't they? And everybody was saying, oh, how does he let that sinful woman touch him? Well, those were kind of weak sinners, I think, those ones, weren't they? Crying at the feet of Jesus. And the strong ones were sitting at the table, and they were the tax collectors. And this is what Jesus said about them all, though. And this wouldn't really be politically correct today anymore. But of course, even for the people, some people like to quote this, oh, Jesus, you know, to justify a kind of party lifestyle. Oh, Jesus went to parties all the time. So that, that, that's their sort of thing of saying. You ever heard people like that? Say, oh, yeah, I read that bit about Jesus. But they wouldn't really like what he said about all the people that were there. Because what did Jesus actually say about all the people that were there at the party? The strong ones and the weak ones, the whole works are sick. They're all sick. They need a physician. Really? That's not really politically correct to say about certain kinds of sickness these days, is it? It's kind of popular about some sort of sicknesses where people, you know, so, you know, for example, alcoholism these days is treated as an illness, isn't it? And if you're an employer or whatever, you can't just say, oh, that drunk bum, I'll kick him out of my company, I'll fire him. You have to be nice. You have to treat it like an illness to be cured. But other kinds of things, certain forms of immorality and so on, if you said they were illnesses, whoa, dear, you would be, uh, you know, in trouble. But Jesus treats all sickness, all sin, as an illness. And he is the physician who came to save people from the sins. All right? And the tax collectors, they had a different kind of sickness, didn't they? They had a sickness with the love of money. If you, have you ever seen the Hobbit, the Hobbit film? 
Nobody's seen the Hobbit film. Well, King, she has King Thrain of of uh, the dwarfs. They dive, delve deeper and deeper into the mines, and they finally found this precious stone. And already his mind was becoming sick. This is sort of the narrator tells the story. His mind is becoming sick with the love of this money. And eventually, of course, a big dragon flies in and takes over the whole place and all the money. Dragon. And all the old medieval legends about dragons and stuff is about this sickness of loving money. The sickness of loving money. And tax collectors were sick with this. They, they were part of the imperial Roman money gathering machine. And most of them took way too much. And so their, their hearts had become sick because of that. And also the Pharisees had become sick for their love of money as well. So they were, they were sick with that kind of sickness. Or there was Zacchaeus. Remember the story of little Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. And a great healing and wholeness came into his uh, life as a result of Jesus, the great physician coming there. And this is how Jesus, this is, when he, this is the context also when Jesus spoke these words, go and learn what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I come to call not the righteous but sinners. And it's that place of uh, receiving healing from the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to just quickly look at, so that's, that's, those, those are sins, by the way, that we can lose our heart to. We're just talking about in the context of losing our heart. How sin? Strong sins, we could give your heart to the love of money and things and possessions or power on this world. Or weakening things where you fall into sin. So your heart can be lost either way. That was, that was the idea there. Our hearts can be lost. That's the danger. Guard your heart, it says, with all vigilance. Seek the Lord. Seek his presence. Seek his life. Seek his love. And uh, seek his healing forgiveness. I love those. Richard uh, was on this. Now, Richard, it's great to have you back, by the way. And uh, Richard has been ill. He's had mumps and all kinds of other things that have been keeping him really down for a while. And I noticed that he's hanging a number of songs, holy, holy, holy songs. Now, sometimes holy seems like it's such a religious, far-off idea. But I tell you, holy is just total separation from all of this sickness that's in the world, isn't it? That's what holiness is. It's a wholeness from every form of sickness and sin and all the confusing entanglements of this world with their sickness. God is pure. He is holy. And his holiness is a beautiful thing. And for a man who's been ill for a month, I had really thought, well, that's Richard. He just is loving this holiness. I want to get into some holy air now. I want to get rid of these viruses. I want to get rid of <laughs> all sickness, mumps, everything out of my life. It's the holiness of God, isn't it? The wholeness, the health, the heaven's air. Because this world's air... Now, I've been at parties, maybe a bit like this, uh, like Jesus was at, hopefully for the same reason that Jesus was there. <laughs> right? The atmosphere is heavy in those places, isn't it? Especially, I don't know if they smoked and stuff in those days, but in the, in the kind of clubs that uh, we used to try and do evangelism is in Germany, and they never even allowed it, had a window open, everybody was smoking, no windows open, and they were smoking all kinds of terrible, uh, you know, Middle Eastern tobaccos and other exotic tobaccos of various kinds. The atmosphere was sick in there. You felt ill. 
after. So, you know, you long for a bit of holy, heavenly air. And Jesus wants to bring that to us. But anyway, I'm not sure where I was going with that. But I'm talking about the heart and about our hearts being whole. And there's a couple of other things I want to say about the heart that um, <clears throat> tie in here. I, I, I'd like to develop this a bit more about fasting. But again, it's all about the heart. It's all about connecting with Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> let me just, I want to go through a few <clears throat> bits from uh, the Bible here. Um, from uh, Hebrews. I'll just find them here. Or actually, sorry. Sorry. I'll forget that. I have enough written down here, I can say it. So much for the technology. (laughs) Five times in Hebrews, we are exhorted to hang on to our confidence, hang on to our hearts. And in the first... Actually, sorry, I do need to find that, so I'll just just do it. Excuse me? Just talk among yourselves for a minute. <laughs> I need to read those verses. It'll be easier just to find it. Confidence. Hebrews, Hebrews 3, verse 6. We are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. So hold fast our confidence to be his house we want to continue holding our hearts with him. Verse, three, uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. We share in Christ if only we hold our first confidence firm until the end. Firm until the end. Keep our hearts close to him. 4.16. Let us sh- then with confidence draw near. And here's how you do it. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Such a time as this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We draw near to his mercy. We have confidence in his grace. We never have... See, if we're weak sinners, and then we get our life sorted out, and then become strong sinners and pride, that's no good, is it? There is a way in between where we walk in weakness, but with great confidence in his grace. Okay? That's the confidence. We have confidence in his grace, and we walk in confidence in his grace. So I'll just whip through these. Uh, you know, time is gone, but... Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. That's a great verse, isn't it? We have confidence. And therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You probably know all these verses. They're great verses, aren't they? And then let me look at a couple of don't lose heart verses. And I found an interesting thing. If you put in lose heart and search in uh, your Bible in the thing, you'll also find that close heart has lose in it, doesn't it? So when I put in lose in it, it actually finds close heart. Just put a C in front of lose, close. And that's the way it warns the rich. Don't close your heart. I love it that Linda has kept us connected to these needs in there, there because... It is so easy for us. We're just bombarded with all this stuff. It's so easy for us to close our hearts, isn't it? 
because we're defending ourselves against a bombardment of information and, and guilt trips and rubbish that's coming from advertising and all sorts of stuff all the time, aren't we? So we, don't, we learn how to close our heart, and we need to close our heart in the right way. But man, we, if we close our heart at the wrong time, we also lose heart, don't we? So lose is hidden there and close. But anyway, that's, not really, that's just a little aside that arises. There's five places in the New Testament where it talks about not losing heart. And the first one is, I believe, no, actually, the first one is, is in Luke. The very first one is in Luke chapter 18. And he says, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Remember that verse? Always to pray. Now, this is the narrator saying this, summing up the meaning of Jesus, the parable about persisting in prayer. So let us persist in prayer. Keep on praying. Especially when you don't feel like it, just pray anyway and don't lose heart. Having done everything to stand, just stand. Okay? If anyone is afflicted and oppressed, James says, just pray. Pray in tongues, whatever. Just go for a walk and pray in tongues, whatever. If you just can't think of anything else to do, everything looks bad, just do that. Just pray. Just reach out. Get a word from God. It's even, it fuels, like Kelly's for her daughter there. When you get words from God, of course, it fuels the prayer, doesn't it? And we don't lose heart because impossible things can happen, can't they? Paralyzed people can get out of beds and airline tickets can get turned around and whatever. So, hey, amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. So there's actually five places in the whole of the New Testament where it says, exhorting us not to lose heart. Five is the number of grace, isn't it? Grace. There is grace in these words, not to lose heart. Okay? Don't lose heart. Just pray. Receive grace. And therefore, we have this ministry by the, because we have this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We are commissioned in the mercy and the love of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, the Apostle Paul says. Here's a good one. I I really felt this was a good one for us. So we do not lose heart, though our outward nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. I tell you, I hate, sort of, many aspects of growing old. Does anybody else feel that here? I hate having to wear these. You know, I used to be able to see a cutting edge with my bare eyes, and now I can't even see one with a magnifying glass anymore. (laughs) Never mind reading. I hated it. I used to be in the workshop and think, why can't I see if that tool is sharp anymore? I hate that. You get all creaky. and You know what the thing I really hate about growing old? As you get old, you know all of the delicious foods in about 50 countries around this world, but if you eat any of them, you get fat. (laughs) When you're young, you walk into a strange city and think, oh, they have horrible food here, I hate this place, I want to go to McDonald's. And you get sick of McDonald's after a while, so that's it. You see? You ever been there? But when you're my age, I have discovered delicious foods from everywhere, and I know how to cook a whole bunch of them and everything I never used to know. I can't eat any of them or I grow fat, which I ha- obviously I have eaten some of them anyway. <laughs> but it's tough growing old, isn't it? Yes. It's easy to get, lose heart growing old. That's what he's saying. Look, the outward body is run away. But guess what? You can culture an inner life, a deeper life with God, and you can become greater and stronger and wiser and more beautiful every day in the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that a good challenge? If you're pushing 70, 60, even if you're in your 50s, you are not over the hill. You are not over the hill. It's just beginning. 
tomorrow can be better than today. Even the outward body is getting weaker and more pathetic, everything looking bad. Put your heart into God. Isn't that, a, isn't that good, though? Because getting old and cr- crotchety, that can really get you down, can it? So anyway, that's a beautiful one. I love that one. That is from 2 Corinthians 4.16. Everybody who's over 40, meditate on that verse <laughs> every day. What's that? Verse 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outward nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. Hallelujah! Isn't that a beautiful word from God? That is also a word from God this morning. Isn't it? Receive that. Receive it. Be strong. Be, you, are, you are wiser, stronger in God than you were when you were in your 30s and 40s and 20s. Do you know that? And even if your physical eyes don't see as clearly, your spiritual eyes can see more clearly. I can see better at a distance than I used to be able to see even. Hallelujah. Prophetically, your sight can get better and better as you get older. Because you are, you, all the little silly lies and nonsense and rubbish of the world turns up. You don't even pay any attention to them anymore. Young people still get tricked by some of them. But you don't even bother with them anymore. Silly lies of the devil. Hallelujah. So that's a really good thing. It's a good reason to rejoice and never lose heart. Hallelujah. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we don't lose heart. Every good thing has its down days. Halfway through or whatever, there's a rainy old day, and you just think, I wish I'd never even started this. I wish I'd have just stayed in bed. I'd never gone down this. You know, every good thing has that element in it. Just hang on. We will reap if we don't lose heart, he said. Eh? Fantastic. Then Ephesians 3 13. That was Galatians 6, 9. This is Ephesians 3, 13. The fifth one, fifth place in the New Testament where it says, don't lose heart. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Well, that's the Apostle Paul. He was locked up in prison. And uh, I find it quite interesting. He's saying to them, don't you guys lose heart because of what I'm going through. Now, I might have thought, he might have thought, if he was feeling sorry for himself and had lost heart himself, he would have said, oh, those guys, they're still free. And I spent my whole life trying to serve that church, and look where I've ended up, where that's got me. He wasn't in that. He had not lost heart himself, even though his outward body was wasting away and everything. He, and he was locked up in prison. His own heart was strong. And he's also saying to them, he was even able to encourage them and say, look, don't get down about the fact that I'm in prison and that I'm suffering. Don't let, get, let that get you down. Because really... If you had a leader who's in prison, that's not very encouraging. You think, well, he's gone way ahead in the faith, and that's where he's got. <laughs> it could be easy to be kind of discouraging. You think, I wonder if I'm on the right career path here, <laughs> trying to be an apostle. <laughs> Is that the right career path? Look where that ends. So they don't lose heart. There is suffering and, and trials that will come. And, uh, but God is, God is with us. Jesus is with us. And let me, you know, I missed one. I wanted to, there's, well, yeah, I didn't even get to all those other ones about in Matthew. Oh, man. I want to say this, though. You know that one where Jesus said to the disciples, take heart? I, I want to finish with this. When Jesus said, take heart, it is I, when they were in the boat and they thought they were sinking and then he walked along. 
Well, you know, in the passage that Kelly preached on last, yes, last week, there was another storm, wasn't it? Yes. And that time, Jesus was sleeping in the boat, wasn't he? Yes. And they were all thinking they were going to drown. And, uh, you know, but nevertheless, Jesus got up and sorted the whole situation out. Now, I'm just thinking about the comparison between the two storms. So this next time, Jesus sent them out, told them to get going out in the boat. And he's not in there sleeping. And so they are really frightened. And then to make matters worse, they see this weird ghost coming out of this storm. And they were very afraid and about to lose heart, just bail it, dive into the water and drown and give up, I guess. So he said, take heart and have no fear. Now here's the point I believe that the Lord wants to give to some of us. We may be familiar with Jesus functioning in our life in a particular way, and we're comfortable with it. There he is, goes through some rough times, he's asleep in the boat, we wake him up, he sorts it out. Lovely. We're into the rhythm of that. We like that, we're okay with that. All right? Then he says, okay, guys, it's time for a new lesson now. We're going to do this different this time. I'm not going to be in the boat. I'm going to be a thousand miles away on a mountaintop somewhere praying, and you guys are going to be out in the boat by yourself. Now, how would you feel about that? And I believe this is also a thing the Lord is saying to some of us. We have got familiar with how he operates, and he's now saying, look, I'm going to take this up a notch. I'm taking this up a notch, and it's going to scare you. It's going to scare the wits out of you, but don't lose heart. It's a higher level of supernatural, isn't it? Because suddenly he's walking on the water. I mean, this is a whole sermon in itself because of what the sea is and what's going on in the world and everything else. It's a, love, it's a great thing, but I just want you to take this, and we'll, we'll come to it anyway. We'll maybe do this sermon at some point, but this is what Jesus is saying. Now, just, the, just the comparisons, it, because even though we're doing passages, you've got to take the big sweep of what's going on in Matthew. And uh, it's this thing. Don't lose heart when Jesus suddenly seems to act differently and operate differently than you're familiar with. Because as we grow, that is going to happen. And uh, that can be a tricky, tricky time. Don't lose heart. It is I. It's me, Jesus said. It's me. Just doing it different. <laughs> right? Can you handle that? Hallelujah. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you help us all. Lord, to, to... Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You may have been a Christian for a long time or you may be exploring the possibilities of a relationship with God. Wherever you are in your journey of life, please feel free to contact us at Woolwich Community Church if you would like any further information on today's message. We will be happy to talk with you, pray with you, and help you in any way we can. Please see the information below in our bio on how to get in touch with us. Have a blessed week and God bless.